Today's Live on Web episode on Natural Gas, Is It a Good Fit for Your Fleet? is presented by American Trucking Associations and Securing America's Future Energy. Hello and welcome to our Live on Web show. I'm Chris Spear, President and CEO of American Trucking Associations. Today's program focuses on the growing importance of natural gas in the marketplace, its potential impact within the trucking and shipping industry, and the role it can play in our nation's energy independence. Natural gas is the preferred and dominant alternative fuel in America's trucking fleets, delivering low and stable pricing while reducing emissions. And its abundant supply here in the United States makes it a viable energy source for decades to come. In recent years, advancements have improved reliability and lowered implementation and operating costs. We'll talk about whether natural gas is suited for your specific fleet applications. We'll also discuss how fleets of all sizes are utilizing natural gas and benefiting from that decision. I'm joined here in studio by Fred Smith, co-chair of Securing America's Future Energy, or SAFE, and president and CEO of FedEx Corporation, a $42 billion global transportation, business services, and logistics organization. FedEx serves more than 220 countries with operations that include nearly 700 aircraft, and over 90,000 vehicles. And FedEx handles more than 9 million shipments each business day. We are also joined in studio by Mag Godleski, the president of Natural Gas Vehicles for America. NGV America is the national trade association for the natural gas vehicle industry, with over 200 members representing the marketplace. Matt has also served on the leadership team of the Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers. And joining us live from Dallas is Boone Pickens, known widely as one of the nation's most successful businessmen. He not only built one of the largest independent oil companies, Mesa Petroleum, but was also a highly successful investment fund operator with BP Capital. Boone has been a visible and vocal advocate to reduce the country's dependency on OPEC oil and is a champion of pursuing alternative energy options. Thanks to each of you for joining us today. Fred, let me begin with you. You're co-chair of SAFE's Energy Security Leadership Council, a group of high-level CEOs and high-ranking military officials whose focus is combating the economic and national security threats posed by America's dependence on oil. Can you explain to the council a little bit more and why a business leader such as yourself has taken on this national security issue? Well, Chris, uh, going on uh, 10 years ago now, uh, I think a number of us in business who used a lot of energy Companies like FedEx at the time, UPS, Southwest Airlines, uh, some of the cruise ship companies and so forth, uh, became very concerned that the United States had no energy policy and we were becoming increasingly dependent on imported petroleum. And um, at one point that reached over 60% of all of our daily petroleum needs. So we formed the Energy Security Leadership Council with about eight uh, former four-star generals and admirals, many of whom spent a big part of their career protecting the oil trade lanes that were so necessary for modern American life. And again, these uh, CEOs from business and set about uh, with the very outstanding scholars at securing uh, America's future energy, SAFE, which is the parent organization, 
to develop a series of recommendations for the nation. And uh, essentially, they boil down to three things. One, produce as much as possible uh, of our own energy in the United States, or at least North America. Second, use less of it. And third, develop alternatives. And uh, those recommendations uh, have uh, been fulfilled to a great degree, uh, to an extent I think would otherwise not have been the case absent the ESLC. Now, we've also been um, extremely lucky in our energy policy, and the fracking revolution has revolutionized oil and gas production, and as you said, the United States has a huge supply of indigenous uh, natural gas. Uh, far, far into the future needs of this country, we can, we can supply all we need. Um, the development in battery technologies has been astounding. I think just this very day, General Motors announced their new uh, Bolt, as they call it, That's I may correct. be wrong, has a range of 238 miles. So uh, alternatives are being uh, developed, and we're using less of it, partially because we um, uh, supported, in addition to maximizing production, uh, new fuel efficiency standards, which was incorporated in the Energy uh, Act of 2007 by the Bush administration, which many people thought would not embrace those types of things. So that's the history of the Energy Security Leadership Council in, in short form. Very good, very good. And Boone, uh, you're well known as an oil man, yet you've made major bets on natural gas, and you've spent millions of dollars of your own money warning the American people about the dangers of our national dependence on foreign oil. Why is an iconic oil man an advocate of natural gas and reduced reliance on foreign oil? You know, I, I can't imagine that we buy oil from the Mideast and fund both sides of the war when it is absolutely unnecessary and stupid to do. We have more oil and gas in the United States than the rest of the world. And we can, we, we showed what could happen. Our, our production oil got down to 4 million barrels a day seven years ago. And then we brought it back up to 9.6 million barrels a day. Now we have pretty well shut down drilling because of the price of oil. And we're down to 8.4. So we come off a million 200,000 barrels. The price of oil will go up and we will go back to drilling. But natural gas is the cleanest of the hydrocarbons. And we could use natural gas, heavy-duty trucks, uh, Fred Smith, FedEx, uh, <clears throat> they have, are moving in that direction. But leaders like Fred that see the value of getting off OPEC oil is extremely important. And that was where I started from, is get off of OPEC oil. And we could do that very quickly if we had the leadership in Washington. Very good. Fred, FedEx has done a, a, a great deal of work piloting and developing several forms of advanced fuels, from electric to biofuels to hybrids to natural gas. And compared to other advanced fuels in the heavy-duty space, what, what makes natural gas so attractive to FedEx? 
Well, natural gas is, as Boone just mentioned again, uh, extraordinarily abundant in the United States. That's point number one. Point number two, uh, and I think we may have a graphic on this, but it's a much more stable priced commodity than oil is. And the reason for that is because it's domestically produced. Electricity is in the same vein, much more stable. And you can see it on this chart. You see down at the bottom those two lines that, that are almost flat. That's the cost of electricity and the cost of natural gas. You see the lines that look like the, the Swiss Alps. That's the volatile oil uh, price. And remember, oil in this country right before the Great Recession of 2008 in July of that year went up to $147 per barrel. And today it's about $47 a barrel, $100 swing. And at that point in time, we were importing about 60% of our petroleum uh, needs. So what's changed in the case of, of natural gas, obviously fracking has made even more of it available at a cheaper price. But I think that uh, the developments of, of new engines for over-the-road heavy-duty trucks that use CNG or centrally fueled heavy vehicles like buses and garbage trucks and things of that nature has completely changed the game. The chirogenic uh, containers or tanks for CNG have come down in, in price. So now we're opening up in uh, uh, a couple of weeks in Oklahoma City a state-of-the-art CNG terminal for our FedEx freight unit, which is our largest user of, of, of heavy trucks. Now, this is no uh, small thing. Uh, last year, our FedEx freight unit and our FedEx ground unit drove almost 3 billion miles in the United States, 3 billion miles. And the heavy truck uh, community uses about 3 million barrels of oil per day. Another thing that's a very big issue these days is the increasing focus on, on environmental stewardship. And of the hydrocarbons, I think Boone mentioned this, natural gas is considerably cleaner than diesel fuel. So it's more stable in price. It, it, it has been less than diesel, you know, a lot of the time. It's American produced and it's not nearly as volatile. So those attributes of, of CNG for <clears throat> over the road fleets, like our FedEx freight and FedEx ground are very attractive. And that's why we're putting the effort behind rolling out some of these CNG terminals. Well, this new facility in Oklahoma serve as your flagship CNG facility? going forward? Well, it, at least it, initially? Yes, of course, but it won't be the last. Won't be uh, the last. No, of course, we think we've got it uh, perfectly designed, but the reality in anything is you learn things as you go along, and I think we've got another one planned down in Texas not long afterwards, and, and as long as the economics uh, continue to make sense, uh, we certainly know it makes sense from a strategic standpoint, as we just spoke about. Well, the photos are great. I wish you luck with mm -hmm. the launch. It's outstanding. Matt, let's shift to the role of government for a moment. Uh, EPA just released its Phase 2 heavy-duty fuel economy standards that were fuel neutral. 
And now California has announced near-zero NOx standards that will likely get considered nationally. How can natural gas help our industry meet the challenges of these standards from both an air quality and an economic viability point of view? Yeah, it's a great question, Chris. I mean, I think that, um, you know, all of the engine and truck manufacturers are trying to figure out uh, how they're going to meet these these new standards. And the good news for natural gas is that uh, many of our engine manufacturers already meet the standard and will meet the standard at the out end in 2027 um, with the existing uh, engines and technology. So I think this uniquely poises natural gas um, to, uh, to play a role and, and uniquely uh, allows natural gas engines to already comply with these very complex rules. The other side of this, of course, is the emission control systems. And for natural gas engines, uh, these are very simple uh, uh, control systems, and uh, the, the new Phase two rules uh, do not put any additional burden on natural gas systems to, uh, to meet those emissions requirements. So I think that uh, here again we have a, an advantage over diesel fuels that will have some new requirements under the new Phase two rule. I think it's very likely that these diesel systems will uh, probably lead to more cost. And so uh, when I think of savvy fleet managers and thinking about, uh, you know, how I'm going to uh, integrate these trucks into my, my fleet in the future, uh, those that are looking for simple, low-maintenance, uh, less complex, less costly after-treatment systems uh, are going to be choosing natural gas. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the cost of that. A concern to a lot of ATA members with EPA's new rule for heavy trucks has been engine stringency. Uh-huh. And I understand that natural gas engines have become more reliable uh, over the past four years and that fuel systems and storage tanks have gotten a lot lighter and cheaper. But tell us, you know, for fleet managers, you know, what, what improvements and how, how can they correlate to lower costs for the truck owner? Sure. Um, I think that, um, you know, as we, uh, you think about what the improvements that have been made over the last five years and these fuel systems are 40% lighter and they'll take a natural gas truck 40% further uh, than, they, than they did just five years ago. And so when you look at the first generation of natural gas trucks, uh, they capped out around 450 or 500 miles. Today's natural gas, gas trucks will go 800 miles. Uh, so when you look at that uh, comparability from, from that standpoint of a, a diesel-like experience, uh, for the majority of the applications, the majority of the routes that these trucks are, are driving in, uh, natural gas is, is meeting those expectations. The other side of it, of course, is that uh, we now have millions of miles on a very diverse uh, engine product portfolio of natural gas engines. Uh, so the early adopters have worked out all the kinks. Um, you know, we have very reliable engines uh, these days. And, and uh, so I think that, you know, that diesel-like experience that's so important to many fleet managers, um, we're able to achieve that today. I'm sure they appreciate hearing that, too. Fred, talk about infrastructure for a moment. Are the, are the costs of constructing infrastructure still high, and is that slowing the development and the availability of alternative fuel sources? Well, I, I think that the point of uh, use for natural gas is an issue for a number of carriers and users. But I think the economics and the environmental benefits are so great, just like any other investment, uh, they make sense today, where a few years ago, uh, perhaps they, they didn't. So a company like FedEx Freight is putting 
CNG into its uh, portfolio of fuel because it's it's an ROI justified um, project that's more stable, as we mentioned a moment ago, in terms of its price outlook and considerably more. Um, uh, it's it's cleaner uh, in terms of emissions, and I think sometimes people forget this, but the United States is actually decreasing greenhouse gas emissions. And one of the biggest reasons for that is the adoption of natural gas for the production of electricity in lieu of, of coal. And uh, obviously many other environmental initiatives have contributed to that, but that's a huge part of it. So again, we use about three million barrels of of diesel fuel a day in the heavy truck sector of the U.S. economy, about 19 million barrels overall. It's a big number. Absolutely. And if you can convert a reasonable fraction, much less the entire uh, part of the heavy truck industry to clean burning natural gas, that's very, very beneficial for the economy, for the carriers, uh, and for the environment. I'm going to bring Boone into this. Do you have anything to comment on Matt and, and Fred's uh, points on this? The one point on natural gas, it is up every street and down every alley. So there's no infrastructure necessary to get natural gas to any location in the United States. So if you want to put it into the interstates, which clean energy fuel has uh, the uh, natural gas highway, that has been accomplished. So, but the gas is everywhere. You do have to put in the pumping equipment and all into a location, such as Pilot Flying J. They have those uh, uh, facilities available in 100 of their stations. So the infrastructure, don't worry about it. That will happen, and it'll have a happen very conveniently. But two, Cummings now has come out with a new engine that has 90%. I'm saying 90%, 90.90% less NOx emissions than anything we've ever seen. Well, all you have to do is to give, in America, is to give the problem to industry. Industry will figure out the problem. But the natural gas is such a, such a superior fuel that we are going to find all kinds of advantages once we start to use it in large quantities like FedEx and UPS and hopefully BNSF. Fred, do you think in FedEx's case that um, you know, incentives to transition fleets over to natural gas are necessary? Do you think the market will, will take its course, as Boone just suggested? Well, I think uh, the market will take its course in general. As he said, the underlying infrastructure for natural gas is virtually in every uh, neighborhood and, and uh, part of the United States. And these developments on the engines, like the Cummins engines and the new tanks and so forth, you'll be able to justify converting a lot of the U.S. heavy-duty fleet to CNG just on an ROI basis. But the reality is it will take a very long time without incentives. So uh, if we were wise at the federal and the state levels, 
and you're very interested in reducing NOx by 90%, then incentives would uh, allow the faster conversion to a more clean burning fuel than would otherwise be the case. You know, Chris, I might add to that. Um, just you, you were asking about the new standard, the optional low-NOx standard in, in California earlier. And just as Boone said, um, natural gas is the only transportation fuel today that has an engine available to meet that low-NOx standard. And so where the real opportunity is going to come here is that California has just put forward their 2016 state implementation plan. And in order to meet their air quality requirements by the year 2030, they're calling for 900,000 low-NOx trucks uh, to be put in California in that period. So not only does that create an amazing opportunity for the natural gas vehicle marketplace, but it provides a great opportunity uh, for fleets and other carriers that are looking to get ahead of the game and utilize these incentives that will be coming in California and through a variety of other mechanisms uh, to implement these low-NOx trucks. Uh, so I think this just it's going to create a, a tremendous opportunity for natural gas. With California, it's an aggressive goal, right? And what's, what's the likelihood that they're going to hit that goal? Well, I think that's, uh, you know, California is, is always very good at setting aspirational goals uh, relative to the, some of these standards. And so uh, I think uh, the funding mechanisms that, that are going to help here uh, that we haven't talked about yet either is this Volkswagen settlement. And so uh, there's a $2.7 billion uh, mitigation, environmental, environmental mitigation fund that's being set up. Uh, and so California is getting about $360 million of that fund. And so there's no doubt in my mind that a, a significant piece of that is going to go to help them meet these SIP, SIP plan goals and other things in getting more uh, natural gas, probably low NOx, near zero trucks on the road. Boone, I know you've been spitballing ways to use that VW settlement. Do you care to chime in on that? Yeah, we, we're working on that in California, and we're working on it in Texas also. And uh, no question, uh, money, you know, makes things happen. And unfortunately for uh, uh, Volkswagen, uh, they cheated on the emissions and were fined heavily. I think it cost them over $15 billion dollars. And a, a big piece of that's going to come to us in the United States. But if you look at a model that worked perfectly was, uh, was uh, Wallerstein, the South Coast Air Quality Management District in Southern California. He switched uh, the trash trucks uh, from diesel to natural gas. It was accomplished in about seven years. But now... All the trash trucks in Southern California are on natural gas. Saves money and it's much cleaner and it is a domestic fuel. You can keep saying that over and over, but it, it pretty well uh, you know, tells you what natural gas uh, can do. And Wallerstein showed how quick it can be accomplished at uh, South Coast. So, Matt, how are you seeing natural gas being used as an implementation strategy for fleets looking to reduce emissions? Well, I think, you know, for a long time we used to see that the main driver was the economics and that the uh, incentive to, to make the switch was, was in the, in all in the cost of the fuel. And that really isn't the case anymore. You know, we're seeing a lot of America's blue-chip shippers, a lot of uh, America's blue-chip companies that are providing products and services to companies, 
uh, that want to lower their emissions, and they have these large emission goals uh, worldwide. And so uh, as they look for implementation strategies of how to, to meet some of those goals, they're, they're bringing natural gas into the mix. And so where economics and the long-term stability of the fuel uh, continue to always be important, um, we're seeing switching uh, to natural gas sort of based as an implementation strategy for, for helping them meet their worldwide or, or in some cases uh, uh, just in the U.S., their, their carbon or greenhouse gas emission goals. So I think, you know, this is an area where, um, again, uh, shippers have a real advantage, uh, or, or I'm sorry, contract carriers that really have a, a real advantage to figure this out and uh, to get ahead of the game. And I think, uh, you know, I know we'll talk more about it later, but our, our session in Las Vegas that uh, we're really hoping to use this as the kickoff for and, and get into some more of these details, uh, we'll have some, some great presenters in Las Vegas to really get into the, the details as to, uh, some of these sustainability goals and what uh, fleets are doing to meet those strategies. Yeah, we're really looking forward to hosting that discussion. So you all know that innovation drives outcomes, and in transportation we hear a lot uh, about autonomous vehicle technology, uh, including trucking. And where does natural gas fit in that mix, and what, if any, relationship uh, is there to autonomy and safety in our industry? Anybody care to answer that, Fred? Well, we have a significant autonomous vehicle um, effort underway, mostly in over-the-road transportation uh, because it's simpler. Uh, The highways are all standardized. The urban congestion that the Google car has had to navigate is a, a much less challenging type of environment out on the interstate system and so forth. However... We believe that that automation in in vehicles, or at least the commercial vehicles we operate, is going to be much more along the line of our aviation uh, operations. And remember, uh, we have a huge aviation fleet, as you mentioned at the start, and they have robots on our planes. They're called autopilots, and they operate at 10 to the minus ninth. A human being it operates at best about 10 to the minus fifth in terms of, of errors. But I don't think you could get most people today to get on a robot-controlled airplane. They sociologically are uh, much more uh, confident getting on an airplane that has a couple of well-trained pilots, despite the fact that there's a robot on there. And uh, these autopilots are incredible. We can take a, one of our 777s off in Hong Kong and punch the autopilot on, and it can go to Indianapolis and Memphis nonstop, land, zero, zero, taxi to the gate, and turn itself off. That's a robot. <clears throat> but we think that uh, in the heavy truck area, <clears throat> the way autonomous vehicles ought to proceed is a well-trained driver and perhaps the, the robot being the second section or the third section. So it's monitoring what, what's going on. But if there's an accident or congestion or something of that nature. Now, the question you asked specifically about CNG, the reality is people's expectations are much higher for robots or autopilots than they are for people. Look at the current publicity around the tragic accident a single fatality 
that took place in a Tesla car, which as it turns out probably wasn't the autopilot, but that's a different uh, issue. It was the expectation of the public, which tolerates 30 some odd thousand fatalities a year on our highways, that they went into this enormous uh, new realm of concern about a single fatality. So people have different standards. One of the things that CNG does in an autonomous environment, it provides a fuel that almost regardless of the horrific nature of any type of an accident, it's not flammable. It dissipates. If the container is broken, the CNG goes into the atmosphere and on a tiny, tiny basis may contribute it to, to uh, pollution, but it, it doesn't exacerbate the, the accident. So I think CNG on over-the-road vehicles is exactly the right fuel, uh, maybe someday batteries, but certainly for the foreseeable future, CNG would be the ideal fuel for autonomous over-the-road vehicles. So Fred, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper on this because it's a really good point. When we talk to our, our, our carriers, a lot of them are a little hesitant with technology because it usually means more costs. But when you talk about ROI, you know, no better place to look than congestion. Our industry spends $49.6 billion a year sitting in traffic. So how can autonomous technology and CNG and these types of new you know, alternative fuels serve as perhaps a solution to relieving congestion and bring that ROI to our fleets? Well, uh, the most important thing that technology can do is mitigate fatigue of drivers and allow 24-7, 365 days a year operation. That's just for starters. Uh, you know, there's no reason under an automated vehicle you reach the point where the, the captain of the vehicle can, can lean back and, and, and uh, rest while the autopilot drives. That would be one, one good example of how it could have a profound implication on national productivity. I think secondarily, uh, the thing that's very important, and you know this as the head of the American Trucking Association, the litigation landscape uh, around vehicle accidents is exploding. And there's a, an enormous industry of the, of the plaintiff's bar uh, that pursues these types of claims, and the cost of these claims is increasing at a very dramatic rate, so much so that you really have to question the viability of, of smaller firms in the, in the trucking industry to be able to, to, to do this, to be in this industry. So in my mind, the only solution to this problem is technology, just as it was in aviation. The fifth generation of jets are quantumly more safe than the first, second, third, and fourth one. You can plot it out. Uh, and so we believe that many of these technologies should be mandated tomorrow. And it might be a short-term expense for uh, putting technology into the trucking fleet, but there is a huge... Uh, huge ROI. I mean, it's a major problem of our logistics infrastructure, this increasing uh, litigation and uh, the cost of, of unfortunate accidents, and technology is the way to, to turn that curve. And certainly for drivers, more miles driven, not sitting in traffic, is good for them too. They're paid more. 
But on autonomous, uh, would you agree that you know drivers will always be needed for navigating cityscapes, pickups, deliveries, maybe not entrance to exit, but certainly the more difficult procedures of operating the vehicle? I do, and, and I, I think that the, the idea of complete autonomy uh, is, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, not realistic, at least in the commercial sector. It, you can't beat one of our, you know, superbly trained uh, aviators on the, our pilots. We have great professional drivers and in our operations and every day they deal with exigencies and accidents and reroutes and one thing or another. So what we want to do, our philosophy at FedEx, is to how do we make the, the, the great team members we have more productive, safer, and make their job more pleasant. Very good. Boone, what are, what are you seeing as the biggest impediments for natural gas acceptance in trucking? You know, it's uh, one, uh, once I think a fuel gets in place, it's hard to change. Uh, and the, uh, the engine was slow to develop. It has developed now. The one thing that has always been in place is the cost of the fuel. Uh, Say a parity, natural gas to oil, is six to one, and so fifty dollar oil uh, would be parity would be eight dollar natural gas, and natural gas has been to eight dollars, but seldom and never did it. Uh, it never stayed up at that level. Today, natural gas is under $3. So there's a huge difference between oil and natural gas. I say oil because uh, diesel is, I'm, I'm comparing diesel oil to be the same thing, but it's uh, natural gas is so much cheaper and you have some, uh, such an abundance of natural gas that it will always sell cheaper than diesel. Now, I you heard what I said. I'm 88 years old. I said, it will always be cheaper. So I didn't say forever, but, but it, I'll never see natural gas sell above diesel. And it is a cleaner fuel. So what are the impediments? To, uh, you know, the technology has been slow to develop. Uh, range was a factor at one point, not any longer. So and the NOx emissions on the Cummings engine is somewhat remarkable. Uh, I think your, the impediments are clearing up, and what you still are missing is the leadership that FedEx will uh, provide. Uh, if FedEx does it, I can tell you there, there are a lot of other truckers that are going to look at it. They've looked at it. Uh, they, will, they will accept it a lot quicker now than they did a few years ago. Well, that's a great segue to my next question. As you know, at ATA, uh, we're an advocacy association, and we seek policies on behalf of our industry, and we're also in the home stretch of an election year. Politicians are talking a pretty good game about energy independence and the importance of alternative, sustainable fuels, but 
I haven't really provided a whole lot of detail on what that means. If each of you were speaking to these presidential candidates, what would your advice be uh, to them on these issues? Fred, why don't you start? Well, I think my advice would be the same as we concluded with the first study of the Energy Security Leadership Council. Uh, we should be energy independent in North America, at least. Uh, United States would be ideal, but I certainly don't think there's any problem, <clears throat> you know, uh, securing oil and gas from our friends and neighbors in Canada or in Mexico. And in fact, we're providing natural gas to Mexico today. Uh, so assuming that North American energy independence is, is the goal for all of the geopolitical reasons we know, and it's important in that regard to recall, most of the conflicts of the last century, the 20th century, had at their heart oil. The initial Japanese attack in Pearl Harbor was because we embargoed their oil from, from uh, Southeast Asia. The uh, war was largely fought over oil. Uh, the air attacks on Romania, Rommel trying to get to Saudi Arabia, Hitler invading Russia and trying to get to the Caucasus and on and on down the line. The current a dispute in the South China Sea with China is largely over those lessons of World War II. They're oil importers. They want to make sure that in any kind of a conflict, they can't be cut off from oil, which is the lifeblood of, of modern industrial society. So our goal in the United States is the same uh, uh, as the Energy Security Leadership Council laid out, become energy independent by producing more in North America, using less, and developing alternatives. That would be the advice that we would give them. Very good. Matt, how about you? I think it's simple. It's just betting on energy diversity to growing the American economy <clears throat> and using domestic resources that we have here at home. Um, we've got 90% uh, uh, of all the natural gas uh, that we need as a country is, is here in North America. And you know, just as both Boone and Fred uh, indicated that when we talk about our energy security as a country, um, we, this is an opportunity to create jobs, put cleaner and greener trucks on the road, uh, and utilize our transportation uh, or our energy resources for our transportation needs in a much more efficient and uh, lower cost way. So I think uh, we haven't heard a lot from the candidates on, uh, on these issues, but I would encourage them to, uh, to uh, uh, promote energy diversity as a path to growing the economy. Boone, I know you've got a lot of advice for these presidential candidates. What would it be? They, let me give you two minutes on history. In 1970, we hit 10 million barrels a day in the United States. And then it was a steady decline down to 4 million. In 1970, 4 million barrels, we got down two. And now, you go back, 73 was the Arab embargo. And at that point, it was pretty well decided we were going to be forever dependent on Mideast oil. So we moved the Fifth Fleet into Bahrain, and we have kept the Straits Hormuz open for whom? <laughs> the OPEC cartel. We're not paid for that, and we see that, that uh, 17 million barrels a day flows through the straits, and incredible, 
Today, we're using about a million three hundred thousand barrels a day of the seventeen million barrels. Now, we have a very uh, good friend in the Middle East, which is Israel, and we need to always keep that in mind. But we don't have to have the Fifth Fleet uh, in in that area to the extent that we have it. We're there with two carriers. I don't think that's necessary. We need to rethink and, uh, our energy plan for America, but you, you touched on it, Fred. Put Canada and Mexico together, North America Energy Alliance. We are the market. Uh, Mexico and Canada both, uh, they both export oil. And we, would, that, we would be the market for that. But we would also put the XL pipeline uh, into being for obvious uh, reasons. I mean, that, that puts your hand on over 200 billion barrels of oil in Canada. And we don't have to have any military involved. It is available to us, and it will be at market prices. We don't pay any bonus to anybody for oil. But it's, uh, if we had an energy plan, we're the only country in the world that doesn't have an energy plan. Boone, I'm going to stay with you for a moment. Uh, let's talk elect, uh, economic cycles, particularly recessions. Um, ATA members, uh, fresh in their memory, the last recession. And, of course, uh, our members are deeply invested in the shipping industry. And profitability tends to wax and wane with the broad economy's growth and recession cycle. Uh, could our industry's adoption of natural gas vehicles actually help reduce the severity and frequency of economic recessions that hurt our industry? No question about it that uh, uh, natural gas would be great help because uh, in a recession, but you mentioned something that we haven't even talked about. Uh, shipping is going to go to natural gas. It's hard. I mean, you know, bunker fuel is the uh, uh, ugliest of all fuels, and natural gas can compete with bunker fuel, and you can go in and out of these ports. You know, you have to, coming into California, uh, Long Beach, uh, Los Angeles area, you have to change your fuel, and you have to be clean bringing those ships in there. You can come in there uh, cheaper on natural gas than you can on diesel. Very good. Matt, renewable diesel is, is being experimented with in some areas. Tell us a bit about renewable natural gas. Is it being used more widely, and what are the emissions benefits associated with it? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a growing piece of the, uh, of the pie of all natural gas that's being used in transportation in the U.S. In fact, you know, we estimate that it's as much as 20 percent now uh, in the country. And so that really what that does is it adds to the uh, emissions benefits of using natural gas uh, in, your, in your fleet. Um, it could be uh, as much as 90 percent uh, cleaner than petroleum fuels in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, other uh, emissions. Uh, some of the renewable natural gas that's coming out of uh, dairy digesters, as an example, um, you know, that can add uh, even more, uh, more benefit just uh, when, you, when you think about the, the methane emissions associated with those facilities. 
So it's a growing piece of the pie. Um, it just uh, it continues to add to the value overall of using natural gas as a transportation fuel, and I think we're going to continue to see that pot grow even further in the, in the years ahead. So as you all three know, we're, ATA is a pretty big family of, of diversified types of carriers, all sectors. Um, and looking at the carrier owner, the technician, the driver, everybody that makes each company successful, what would be the one thing that you would each like them to hear from this today? Fred, why don't you start? Well, I think all of our uh, teammates every place, and uh, there are 473,000 of them, so this is a big group of people. Uh, I think all of us are concerned about the, the future of the environment and the earth and so forth, and it's hard to argue with these kinds of, of metrics on the environmental side of the house. I think, secondarily, they want FedEx, their employer, to be financially successful, and as we've talked about extensively today, the economics of uh, CNG and heavy-duty over-the-road uh, trucks, either local like garbage trucks or, or buses or the types of rigs that we use at FedEx Ground and FedEx Freight, they're compelling. So uh, the marketplace generally wins. And if you have as an adjunct to that great environmental benefits and financial uh, success, I think that that's a story that, that certainly our folks will be solidly behind. Very good. Thank you. Matt, how about you? I think I'd say that, um, you know, when you look at the overall natural gas experience, um, this has changed significantly over the last uh, few years. So if you haven't taken a look at this, if you're a fleet, um, if you're a, a shipper, or uh, you're a municipality with buses and refuse trucks, um, if you haven't taken a look at this in a while, you really need to because when it comes to engine reliability and performance, um, making maintenance facilities easier, uh, training, fuel system capacity, fuel system distance, uh, these are all uh, significant improvements uh, that uh, have, have gone on in the technology and the availability of these engines and systems over the last several years that really make it a different experience. So I think, uh, you know, that's really a, a big focus of this session that uh, we're working on for Las Vegas. Uh, we'll have experts from uh, many of these companies that will dive into the specifics uh, a little more uh, succinctly. And uh, we'll also have, have I think, uh, some various fleet owners that have adopted uh, natural gas in their fleets and uh, that can talk about the, the benefits that they're seeing and uh, just the improvements that have really been made that to continue to make this, uh, you know, the best transportation fuel uh, when you think of alternatives in the heavy-duty space uh, that's available today. Very good. Boone, I'm going to give you the last word. What would you have to say to our viewers? Well, I think that, you know, your employees are proud when you are uh, 100% domestic fuel. Well, the lucky part for us is the domestic fuel we have uh, so abundant to us is, uh, is the cheapest one. It's uh, domestic fuel and the cleanest. When did you ever get the opportunity to be cleaner and domestic and you also are cheaper? So I, I think our, you know, the people in the country, the, your employees and all, are proud if you're U.S. fuel and you're clean. The clean has never been been sold in Washington. And you have people that want to cut out all fossil fuels. Well, try that one. 
There's 95 million barrels of oil used every day in the world, and 70% of it goes to transportation fuel. If you cut out fossil fuels, you would stop the world. It doesn't even make sense. What does make sense, there are going to be different fuels in the future, and it could be the battery is a solution for the future. I, I'm not against the battery. I'm for America. I'm for safe. And, uh, and you guys have done a fabulous job. And it's, it's not a hard topic to put on the table. And everybody gets on board with what we're trying to do. Well, I believe that our time for today's show is coming to an end. I want to thank our three guests for sharing their opinions, experiences, and expertise on the benefits of using natural gas for fleet operations. We hope you, the viewers, enjoyed this program, and we look forward to having you join us again for the next Transport Topics Live on Web series. Until next time, thank you for joining us.